Perfect. We are live. Welcome, everyone, to the next installment of the Catechism of the Catholic Church series. I can never remember which number we're on, so I'm just going to say the next installment to make it a little bit easier on myself. Um, but either way, Father, let's start this next installment with a prayer. That's a great idea. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for continuing to guide us, to lead us, uh, to learn more about you, to love you more and more with our whole hearts, and for giving us the strong foundation of the truth. We thank you for the unending love that you pour out upon us always. Um, thank you for bringing Michael and I together and all those who are joining us live, all those who will watch this later. We just ask that you continue to help us to grow in wonder and awe and love at your word, at your love and graciousness for the gift of your son, for the gift of the church, all the saints, and for our own universal call to holiness. And we ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. Saint Jerome. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father, before we get started, I need to brag about you, for you, a little bit. So, if you didn't watch Father's homilies from this past Sunday, I have gotten so many good reports on your homily this past Sunday. Well, Probably exciting. the most reaction that I've heard about a homily since the homily you gave about Budweiser. Um, <laughs> and everyone greatly enjoyed the list that you really stole from somebody else, I which did. I understand is the best homilists, they just steal things from other people. Exactly. Now, you don't, uh, you cite your sources, which is much, much nicer than many homilists do. Um, but it was this list of sacrifices, and I thought it would be really interesting for you to explain it a little bit and maybe point people over to our Facebook page to watch that homily because it was so good. Absolutely. So I guess if we're on Facebook Live, we just go right down there. <laughs> if you scroll down, and Michael has been so good to take that list and break it up into the, I think it's six subsections. And Some it, of them had to be doubled because there were so many. That makes sense. And made them look prettier. But yeah, it's just one of those things where I think so often we hear examination of conscience and a lot of people kind of like glaze over a little bit and they're like, yeah, I already followed the Ten Commandments. And it's sort of like the rich young man coming up to Jesus like, you know, master, master, what, I, what must I, or good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, follow the commandments. Yeah, I follow the commandments. Like, I think a lot of us kind of fall into that, but our Lord doesn't just call us to just follow the commandments. He wants us, you know, to go above and beyond, to love with all of our hearts, to make sacrifices. And the beautiful thing about that list, which is by, and it's from the unpublished writings of Father Rene Schachman, I think it was, and it's in Dr. John Bergsma's book, uh, The Word of the Lord, like Reflections on the Sunday Readings uh, from Year B, and there's three of those volumes out now. Um, but it was, yeah, this, the six different subsections, one on, on, on eating, uh, one on, I like the one on personal hygiene, you mm -hmm. know? Like, uh, you know, let somebody else use the bathroom first. Clean up after yourself. <laughs> Floss. Um, that's one of my hardest ones. I'm not good at it. Every time I see, you know, the, the dental hygienist, she's like, I know you don't floss every day. I'm like, it's less than not every day. But, <laughs> um, you know, they're always so good to me there. Um, the one we posted today was about physical posture. Nice, which we're stri Oh, you know what? I am using my seat back. Now, this was the one I felt oddest about. Because remember with this, it's not like, okay, if I'm doing this, it's not like God's like, stop it. No, but it's the little things throughout every day that we can, you know, offer up to our Lord, like with just a little sacrifice. Like, Lord, hey, you know what? This is what's coming to me right now. Um, I'll throw in a little personal example, right? Michael and I were just tired of this. It's been a really busy day. I have not had a chance to eat lunch. Um, and I could get grumpy about that and get hangry and, like, yell at Michael. But you know what? I'm just going to say, like, Lord, hey, I'm kind of hungry right now. But you know what? I offer it up for you. And, like, to do little things like that. It's like our opportunity in the midst of our day to bear those crosses for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls. Um, and I love that practical list from Father uh, Rene Shackman. I think I'm saying it right. Um, I'll double not, check. Okay. If not, I apologize to Father. He is in the, I think he's in the priestly fraternity of the Holy Cross. Never met so him. So it's Shatman. Shatman. S-C-H-A-T-T-E-M-A-N. 
of the Priestly Society of the Holy Cross. Nice. That is correct. So, thank you, Father. And, you know, just like those little things, I love when you get into the ones on entertainment, because I think the more, you know, I, because, you know, I came up in the context of the gospel of our Lord saying, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your hand's not causing you to sin. As I said, if I smack Michael, it's like, why do you do it? I'm like, my hand, I, I don't know. Like, no, that's not the way it works. It comes from somewhere. And I think for some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, it may be easier to cut off your hand than cut off your internet usage or watching TV. And that's a problem. You, know, like you need to look at, like, okay, and what, what am I watching? What am I putting in there? Because what we watch and what we listen to has an effect on how we are. Um, you know, it's funny, I remember going from college to seminary, the type of music I used to listen to, it changed pretty drastically. Um, it was funny because I, you know, I grew up in the time of like grunge music, which a lot of our, one of my friends in college used to call it, I hate my parents music. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I went to a lot of concerts when I was in college. Now, you know, I wasn't like Mr. Grunge, but letting go of a lot of that stuff and, you know, just listening to better things, it uplifts your mood a lot. Go figure, you know, and like you're not singing about how terrible everything is. And instead, you know, I will tell you, right now, I'd say one of my favorite bands that I'm listening to all the time, the Hillbilly Thomists. Have mm. you heard of them? I just heard about them the other day. Oh, my goodness, they're wonderful. And actually, one of their band members is Father Thomas Joseph White, who is the new rector of the Angelicum in Rome, which is like one of the most premier universities in the church. Um, I think it's, is it technically the University of St. Thomas Aquinas, but it's called the Angelicum because he's the angelic doctor. I think. I think so. I think. Um, but he's brilliant, and he's one of the singers in that band, which is so Does cool. he play the banjo, too? I think so, and I think he's the one who sings on my favorite song of their whole newest album, which I think, the album is called Living for the Other Side, and there's a song in there called Bourbon, Bluegrass, and the Bible. Oh my goodness, <laughs> it is a wonderful song. And there are others on there, too, that I love, but, you know, even with that, it's bluegrass, it's got some cool, like, country type, you know, it's not like saccharine sweet, everything is great all the time. No, I mean, it, it recognizes, I mean, we live in a fallen world. Like, there's one of the songs I heard the voice of Jesus say. You know, I mean, there's, there's some difficult things in the midst of that. However, it's like, you know, they've got a, a good worldview. Those guys are interested in you becoming a saint, and they want to help you to do it, and you can sing along, and just, you feel more uplifted afterwards, even though it's kind of, of a country twang. I throw that out there just because it's like, hey, all these little things that add in and help us. And I thought that list at the end of uh, Dr. Bergsman's reflection was so helpful. I was like, I'm just going to read this. Uh, and obviously it, it got some good reactions. People liked it. And so, like I said, pay attention to our Facebook and see those posts. I set it up so it's posting every other day Nice for until we're done. Cool. Um, and then there's a surprise one at the end. Um, I won't tell you what it is, so I don't want to spoil it. And then I don't know uh, what it is either. You so don't know excited. what it is either. <laughs> so you'll have to wait. Uh, right about when you get back from your retreat and vacation, I think nice. it posts. Perfect. Um, so we had the, the second one posted today. Um, and actually, a little shout out too. I haven't listened to it yet, okay. but I want to. Matt Frad just did like a big internet fast again. Again? So Matt Frad is a big Catholic speaker. Oh, he, he, did, a, he takes August off every year. He right? has a, a podcast called Punch with Aquinas. Mm -hmm. And recently, I've seen two or three things come out on his YouTube channel and on the podcast, because it's really just duplicate, whether you want to see somebody talk or just listen to somebody talk, kind of like what we're doing right now. Um, he, yeah, he took off internet and was talking about why you should take off the internet, especially why you should get off of social media. It's not something I have listened to yet, but it's definitely on my list. So you all can go view it sooner than I can, and you can report back to us and see how it is. Hopefully it's good. I mean, I'd say nine times out of ten, I mean, he hits home runs. I just listened to his interview with Father Sean Kilcally. It was powerful. And uh, yeah, there's, there's so much good stuff out there. It's like, why waste your time watching like, garbage on Netflix? I know that there's some good things on Netflix, but there's a lot of garbage out there too. And I think it's always good to ask yourself the question, how does this help? You know? Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that everything needs to be like, oh, let's watch the St. Therese of Lisieux movie again. Like, no, not necessarily. Like, I'll be honest with you. Every once in a while, I'll watch a uh, Mark Rober video. Yeah. You know? Like, that guy's awesome. You know? yeah. Or even how ridiculous, you know, those three guys from Australia tossing junk off of, like, a, a huge... 40-meter uh, 40, 40 40, tower? Yeah, it's incredible. 
And but the thing is, is like, okay, there's nothing immoral about it. They seem like decent guys. They never cuss or anything. And sometimes it's just kind of fun to see like a giant Hulk fist like smash through bulletproof glass. Like there's something sort of just huh. now I'm not saying spend all night long watching it, but you know, it's a ten minute video of them doing some ridiculous stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's okay. How ridiculous How, you ask? Ah, I see what you did there. It was great. Uh, you know, so there are things out there like that. Great, but just ask yourself the question: How does this help? And you know, sometimes like, hey, like having a piece of cake, wonderful, but don't make that your whole diet because then you'll feel like garbage. Just like I'm not going to spend the whole afternoon watching how ridiculous videos. Every once in a while, it's like a piece of candy. Like, fantastic. I feel a little better. That was a nice little bit of mental relaxation, and now I can move on to something else. You know, and so it just I liked that list because I think it kind of causes you to stop. And reflect on day-to-day life. Like, what are you doing with different things? How can you, you know, keep striving to grow in holiness with each, you know, passing hour of the day? I'm already back on the seat back, by the way. I couldn't do it for very long. My posture's not very good anyway. Just ask uh, Deacon Darren Balky. He's <laughs> let me know before. Um, but yeah, I think that was, that was really helpful, and I'm grateful to Dr. Bergsman. And by the way, I emailed him to make sure it was okay that we could post it on the Facebook page. He said, great, go ahead and do it. And as I told Michael, I said, it was also just an excuse to email one of my heroes because he is an awesome scripture scholar. I mean, in all honesty, I I would recommend getting those books from him because they have the actual texts from the Sunday Mass readings and then his commentary on the first reading, the responsorial psalm, the second reading, and the gospel. It's not just like a canned homily. It's just like a lot of different things that, you know, to think about that sort of like the context for each of the readings. And he does an excellent job with that. So. Yeah, and like Father said, if you haven't seen the, haven't listened to the homily, you can watch the Mass down below from this past Sunday, or you could view the posts every other day about the different sacrifices you can do. And I thought this was a really nice segue, because we're talking about man today in the Catechism. We are. We're talking about the creation of man, and just getting into the fall of man. But I think the beautiful thing to start off with man is that, there's a couple points in paragraph 355 that it, it kind of breaks down. And I'm probably just going to read the whole, whole paragraph because this kind of introduces the, this introduces the entire section mm-hmm. of man. So this is 355. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man occupies a unique place in creation. One, he is in the image of God. Two, In his own nature, he unites the spiritual and material worlds. Three, he has created male and female. Four, God established him in his friendship. So those are kind of the breakdowns of what we're really going to be looking at over the next, really, 50 paragraphs, Mm because we basically wrap up this section once we get to the fall, more or less. Um, But those are the things that make man unique and how beautiful those things are. Made in the image of likeness of God, we are this perfect combination of spiritual and material worlds. We're created male and female. And God established man in his friendship. Yeah. How beautiful those are. And we haven't even explained them yet. Yeah. And just to think about that too, I mean, the fact that the word friendship gets thrown in there where it's talking about God creating us. And the thing is, you got to remember, it's, and we'll get there, but you know, like God didn't create us out of a need. It's not like he's sitting up there in heaven lonely and doesn't, I mean, he didn't need us, but it's like out of this just profuse outpouring of his own love, he creates us. And then it's not like he created us, like just sort of watch us from afar. It's like he wants to be in friendship with us, which is a really, when you stop and think about that, it's like at the heart of everything is moving into a deep relationship, this awesome friendship with God, which almost sounds too good to be true, but the glorious thing is it's not. So Yes, indeed. Cool. So first, we're going to focus on what it means by in the image of God. So the kind of the first line of this next paragraph, 356. Of all visible creatures, only man is able to know and love his creator. He is the only creature on earth that God has willed for its own sake. Just those two things, like sitting down and meditating on those two items. We're the only creature able to know and love his creator. Of all other creatures God made, of the entire universe, everything else that God created, this is saying that man is the only creature able to know and love his creator. We're the only ones able to recognize 
that there is this higher power, only one's able to recognize how much he loves us, only one able to recognize that there exists something greater than ourselves. And then we're the only ones that God willed for its own sake. So that means everything else, God willed for some other sake. For some purpose. Really for man's purpose, for man to utilize. And so we are the only ones that created because he wanted to create us out of this love, not because he needed something else out of us. And just remember too, as Michael's saying that, because I'm sure there's like that little twinge of like, wait a second, like that's getting a little bit arrogant when you're talking about man. But that's the problem is that we're fallen, you know, is that there is a proper ordering to all this. Just because something is created for its own sake, it doesn't mean like, ha I can do whatever I want and I can go, you know, kick down the sandcastle of the kid down the beach. Like, no, like basically it's like for our own sake, like to be in harmony and union with him and friendship with God and with one another and how incredible that is. And when it's all going right, how beautiful, you know, just existence is and to have been created for your own sake I mean, that's, that's a powerful thing. That's a huge human dignity that also bears an incredible responsibility. And remember, every human was created for his own sake. Yeah. So we need to treat our brothers and sisters in the way God would because they were created for their own sake. From conception to natural death. We don't have people that we're utilizing or, oh, that person was created so they could help me do X. Yeah. No, that person was created because God loves them and for their own purpose, not to serve other people's purposes or other things' purposes. Mm-hmm. And we all play in this together. You know, it's like we, we all have, like we all play our role, so to mm-hmm. speak, in the midst. But once again, as Michael said, it's not like someone was created to be your servant. But at the same time, it's like I get the pleasure of getting to serve you in this way. You know, I mean, it's... It's a beautiful thing. It sort of like turns our fallen nature or the, sort of like the results of the fall on its head. You know, the devil told lie, and I know I'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Well, actually, you could just jump to 358. You okay. kind of just read it already. Okay, well, perfect. Oh, go for it. God you? created everything for man, but man in turn w- was created to serve and love God and to offer all creation back to him. Mm-hmm. So I think we talked about this earlier in the catechism where, you know, how do we enjoy God's creation by giving it back. Yeah. I think you had some sort of quote that I'm forgetting what it was, but we'll f- like, it was in one of the past videos. Go I want to say that it's, it's Gaudium et Spes 22, about man only finds himself through a true gift of self. That's probably um, it. It's either 20, I think, actually, I think, that's, I think it's Gaudium et Spes 24. Anyway, that's one of the documents from the Second Vatican Council, and I believe that was St. John Paul II's favorite quote. But when you think about that, it's like, yeah, it's in, it's in, it's like the, the, the prayer of St. Francis. It's in giving that we receive you know, and, and you do find that, you know, and especially as you become an adult, it's like Christmas gets better because you're getting to give of yourself, and that's better than just receiving at Christmas, you know? If it's all about just what you get personally, you're never going to be satisfied. But as we strive to give of ourselves, giving of ourselves away, like the love just keeps growing and growing and growing. I mean, it's, it's the, the awesome sort of paradox of being a Christian, of, of following Christ. So remember, our Lord poured out his blood for us, right? All the way down to the last drop, to the point that when he was pierced on the cross, blood and water flowed out. He gave everything. And so in turn, like we're called you know, to give of our, all that we are, and that's really hard for us. And God has given us the gift of himself to offer back to the Father in the Eucharist I mean, like, we get to participate in this perfect giving, and I just love that we get to do that every single day, you know, and then, and then we receive back from it, and it's this awesome give and take all the time, and it just makes life so exciting. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head that, and that was kind of going into the next parts of the catechism, that Christ is the example of this, yeah. that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, became man to do the exact thing man is supposed to do, but he's giving it to us so that we could give it back to him. It's just this beautiful, beautiful, mysterious cycle of giving and receiving and giving and receiving. And the more we're willing to give, the more we're going to receive, but the more we can give. And that's how you become a saint. I mean, look at the lives of the saints and how much they gave. But 
we always look at their lives and go, oh, how beautiful their life is because they received so bountifully, because they gave so bountifully. Exactly. And so that is something that we're all striving to do is be saints. And I think it outlines it very well here, just in this kind of opening section on man. But the, then the next part that we get into is that man is created in the image of God, but we also have something a little bit different in that we are this perfect combination of the material world and the spiritual world. We are the only creatures that contain truly both the material and the spiritual. Angels, right? As powerful as they are, they don't have bodies. They are not contained in physical space, right? Animals, plants, the whole created world, right? They do not have the immortal souls in the way that we do. Our souls will live forever. And so we're also this beautiful complementary combination of both the material and spiritual world and both of those things that God gave us were good and amazing and that's how we are man that what is what defines us as human beings our body and soul unity and that's why it's important that we take into account our body but also that we always take into account our soul and the two of them do both very much go together and that's why you know when all of a sudden it's just like man I am just, I'm so down today. It's like, well, okay, let's take, let's take a step back for a second. Like, did you get enough sleep last night? Are you getting enough sleep? Like, have you been eating appropriately? Um, have, and, and same time, this isn't a call to pamper yourself, you know, because, because when you do that, when it's all about like just a treat yourself moment all the time, yeah, you're not gonna like be a whole lot happier. Like life, if you were to just go on like one long perpetual cruise, Think about, have you seen the movie WALL-E? Yes. Yeah, okay. Like, you think about those people, right? Like, they're, they're fat, dumb, and happy, just, like, on their floating things with, like, an iPad, and they can just kind of do with it. But they're not happy, you know? Like, yes, all their physical needs are, like, being taken care of, but then they start to atrophy in a spiritual way, too. It's just, it's not good for you. Like, we have to have both. We need to be spiritually fulfilled, but you also can't just ignore the physical reality, too. You know, like, I go and see people sometimes in the hospital, and they feel so bad. It's like, Father, I just, I can't pray like I was before. It's like, yeah, you're in the hospital. Like, it's hard to focus, right? It's hard, but at the same time, do your best. Make a good sign of the cross. Work your way through the Our Father. Just say some Hail Marys slowly, right? God bless you. You know, like, shut off the darn TV. It's not going to help you out. Just do your best, or just, you know, even if you can't come up with the words, just think about the face of Christ. Just meditate on him. Meditate on our blessed mother holding him as a child. You know, meditate on a scene from the gospel. Just kind of think about it, you know. That's all you got to do. Like, our Lord knows where you are at the time. He knows the circumstances. You give it your very best, right? That's why, for example, someone comes to church like, Father, I just, I can't kneel anymore during the Eucharistic prayer. Okay, fine. Like, so your knees are shot. You're 95 years old. That's what happens. Sit down, but just kneel in your heart. You know, that's okay. Our Lord knows. Like, he doesn't demand of you when you're 95, start acting like a 30-year-old, dang it. Like, no, God doesn't do that. He knows we have a body, right? But he also wants us to, you know, do the things with our body that we're able to do. And some of us, you know, it's like that 95-year-old who, like, really wants to kneel. It's like, it's okay, buddy. But at the same time, then you get a 30-year-old. It's like, eh, whatever, you know, like like this at the Mass. What are you doing? You're like, come on, show that love and respect with the gift of your body that God has given you. And, and it's like finding you know, the right level of, of challenge, but at the same time, the right level of comfort. And our Lord gives them both to us. And that's the unique thing about us being like a body and soul unity, is we need both to be attended to all the time. And I think paragraph 365 really sums this up nicely. The unity of soul and body is so profound that one has to consider the soul to be the form of the body, i.e. it is because of its spiritual soul that the body made of matter becomes a living human body. Spirit and matter in man are not two natures united, but rather their uniform form, union forms a single nature. And I think this is made so profound when we think about about death, right? When we die, our soul is separated from our body. Hopefully, God willing, we will go to heaven, be perfectly united with the beatific vision, with God. However, we're not still whole. 
we're still missing something even at that point. And you go, wait, you're in heaven. How can you be missing something in heaven? Isn't that perfect? Well, yes, in your singular spiritual state without your body, that it will be perfect. But as men, we will be missing something that one day with the resurrection of the body, we will receive those bodies back and be that perfect union between spiritual and material in that human form again in this new heaven and new earth. And so this is so important for us to believe in the resurrection of the body because we as human beings require our body to even be a human being. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, a good way of kind of saying like just how important that the body is. We had a funeral today for Sergio Pacheco Romero. Tomorrow we have one for Marty Sunnell. Um, and God bless them both. You know, it's sad when people die, you know, but we trust, we pray for the repose of their souls, but also we wait in joyful hope for the resurrection of their body, you know, at the end of time. And that's why we have a cemetery here. That's why in the funeral today for Sergio, I incensed his body in his casket at the end of the funeral mass. I mean, when you think about that, our bodies allow us to receive baptism when water is poured over our head. Allow us to be confirmed, you know, when the bishop dips his finger in the chrism and makes the sign of the cross on our forehead saying, be sealed in the, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And think about this, it's the cross on your forehead, and then he says what Jesus said to the apostles right after the resurrection, peace be with you. It's like this unity of the cross and the resurrection all together in this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You receive that in your body. And then, of course, the source and summit of the Christian faith, we receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the Eucharist. You receive him on your tongue, that Jesus comes to you physically. And that's why, my friends, don't go for cremation. You know, like, <laughs> like at the end of the day, it's like, give the body honor. Yes, I get it. Like, you know, sometimes our bodies frustrate us, right? It's like, ugh, you know, like, I'm getting older. I found out, I went to the dentist like two weeks ago, right? I had to get a, a, um, an appointment with the periodontist coming up because apparently the nerves behind my front two teeth are starting to die. I might get to have a root canal. Now, the funny thing Ooh, is... Two root canals? Front oh, two yeah, teeth. that's rough. I'll be singing All I Want for Christmas. You know, it'll be, it'll be wonderful. Here's the thing. It's like, okay, I get it. I'm less than three months from 40. Um, and that's what I said to my, uh, my dentist. Actually, no, I'm just over three months from 40. I said to the dentist, I'm like, is there anything I could do? He's like, just happens. I'm like, I'm about to turn 40. He's like, and I don't even know what a root canal is like. I just know that it's I the had one. That's not, that's not, it's too not that bad. It's just one of those things that seems like that's the thing that people say is like, I'd rather have a root canal. You know, so I, I don't know. We'll see. But the reason I say that is it's like, you know, so we can be like, oh, this darn body of mine. Well, we all know they're going to break down. You know, I mean, it, it, it is what happens with time, but you still need to take care of it. And, also, this is the other thing I've kind of thought about a lot recently. Thank God for the fact when things are going well. Like, you can breathe through your nose right now. Isn't that great? You know, like when you have a cold, it's like you just can't breathe, and it's such a pain. And then finally, when everything breaks through, it's like, ah, oh, this is so great. But how rarely during a normal day we're like, you know, I'm really happy I can breathe through my nose right now. I know it's a silly little thing, right? But thank God when things are working. And, you know, I feel like as things start to break down as you, as you get older, okay, so be it. You know that you've got an expiration date on the body, but that's the same body that was baptized, that was confirmed, that received Jesus in the Eucharist countless times. If you're a woman, the body that brought life into the world with your children, think about that. Man, the, you know, the body that gave life to new, to new children. That's an amazing thing. And so, like, to, like, burn that up and scatter it to the four winds, that's just crazy. It's like saying to God, hey, you gave me this gift, but you know what? I'm just going to burn it up again. No. And now granted, the church allows for it. But I would just say, before well, you go... The church to... allows for cremation, not the scattering of ashes. Not scattering. Oh, thank you for clarifying. You were kind of doing two things at once. Thank you um, for clarifying. He's so good at clarifying things. Second on a tangent. Yes. Church allows you to be cremated, but the cremated remains must be buried um, or in turn in a, in a sacred place, like a columbarium like we have here at Sacred Art, or in the ground mausoleum, something like that, but not scattered, never scattered. We have to show honor to the body. And I would just say, personally, I think we show a lot more honor to the body when we do a full body burial. You can disagree with me, but I would just say, remember this, the church allows for cremation, but does not recommend cremation. 
um, and never allows for scattering of the ashes. But you know, just to think about that, we have a body. This body lived at a particular time in human history, did particular things. Like, I mean, this is a cool thought. So you know, like we have the relic, you know, the relics all over the place. In Rome, it's in the Jesu, it's a Jesuit church. They have the relic of St. Francis Xavier's arm, which is kind of cool, mm-hmm. because he baptized like 100,000 people. So you think about that, it's like, I've gotten to baptize not 100,000 people, I don't think. You're but getting there. I'm getting up there, you know, like, and I've gotten to offer 5,600 and whatever masses with these fingers. You know, it's like, that's, that's, an, that's an incredible thing. And, you know, to thank God for that by showing it proper honor and to know that eventually, you know, God willing, those, these digits, that hand will be in heaven after having done all those sacraments. It's, it's an incredible thought. Yes, indeed. And you can't actually be a priest without some of your digits. That's true. That's true. I you mean, have to so be a special indole, your, your, your fingers are actually a requirement to be ordained. I need these. That's how mass. important the body is. Yeah. You can't even receive a sacrament without certain parts of it. Yep, I got to have it. So, good stuff. And 366, I just want to touch on something real quick here. Please. The church teaches that every spiritual soul is created immediately by God. It is not produced by the parents. And also that it is immortal. And I also think this is a little nod to the pro-life movement, mm-hmm. right? That the God creates immediately the soul when you have a new human being, right? At the moment of conception. And so it's, it has nothing to do with the parents. It has nothing to do with the normal um, material creation process. God has everything to do with the implantation of the soul into the body. And who are we? to A, kind of say when that happens, um, or B, to say, oh, well, this body, even if it's a single cell body at the time, isn't worth keeping, and I can decide to dispose of it. We won't go on that tangent, but be pro-life. I, I think you all know where we stand, or, just, yeah. or at this moment sit. Which, by the way, just as a quick aside, I really like the pro-life display this year. I like the little crosses. I think they look lovely. So cheers to our resurrection youth, John Bachman, Barbara Franklin, all the people who worked so hard to make that happen. I think Eric Lawler made them. Eric Lawler? Thanks, there Eric. There you go. He's so good. I love it. But you don't have technology, so you won't be watching this. <laughs> um, all right, moving on to the next part. Male and female, he created them. Which actually, a little sneak peek, that's going to be on our sign here because that's in the reading this Sunday. It is. Um, so, male and female. I actually really like the little heading title to this section. Equality and difference willed by God. That's what I said. Equality and, and difference. difference. I think this is so important in our age today. Yeah. And it's not even under a, a, par, a paragraph number, but it speaks to so much of what man and women are. That God created us both in his image likeness. Man and woman are equal in this dignity of equality of what God created, right? He created man and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Let me give him a helpmate or a partner. Now, I always like to say, God didn't forget to create Eve. It wasn't a divine whoopsie, facepalm, oh, I knew I forgot something. He waited to create Eve for Adam to recognize that the rest of the created world was missing something for him. Mm-hmm. It was for Adam's sake to recognize that there was something missing, that he needed something else. And so once Eve was created, Adam had this realization or this wow moment in a way. I always like to say he went, whoa, man, and that's how we got the word woman. Um, And realization of how beautiful woman was and vice versa. But we also have to recognize that men and women were created differently. Mm -hmm. Not just physically, right? As we were just talking about, man is both uh, soul and body. We were created differently in body and in our natures as masculinity and femininity, male and female of our soul. And so men and women are so important. They're created by God. And they're, again, this equality and difference that is willed by God. Exactly. And there's something to, I mean, just in, because that the reading from Genesis is going to be our first reading for this upcoming Sunday. And I was listening to Dr. John Bergsma talk about this. And a couple of things, because I'm, I'm no Hebrew scholar, I don't know, and I don't remember exactly, but it's like the word that's used for the woman, like that God is going to make, you know, this complementary, you know, person, 
that, you know, when you think about that, he doesn't say, I will make him a handmaid. You know, it's like it's not someone who's going to come like to serve, but that it's someone who will complete him. And the other thing that he mentioned is the word for rib, you know, because he casts a deep sleep over Adam and takes out one of his ribs. And apparently the word for rib there uh, is used several times in the Old Testament, but it has to do with the construction of the temple. And it's like there's this whole like temple imagery of the coming together of man and woman. You think about that, it's like we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And how incredible that is that there's even some temple imagery in the way, you know, the complementarity of man and woman and, you know, the coming together of the two to then bring about new life, created in the image and likeness of God, of the one who brings life into the world. And so to think about, like, there's the sacrifice, it's almost like a form of death, you know, on Adam. And it's funny he mentions, like, at this point, like, Adam's never gone to sleep before. It's like, what is going on, you know? <laughs> and so, like, he's, you know, he's asleep. Um, you know, from his side comes the woman, Think ahead to another garden, uh, you know, there on Calvary when Christ sleeps on the cross and from his side comes his bride, the church. Um, how incredible, you know, the two of those tied in together. Well, once again, Christ is the form that we all strive toward. Um, you know, just how, how awesome that is and that, you know, the love of man and wife. Man and, male and female coming together as man and wife, you know, it's, it's, it's an image of Christ and his love for his bride, the church. Um, and once again, it's like this body-soul unity, male and female, he created them. How deep all of these levels go and how important our body complementarity and our uh, equality and difference are in the midst of all of creation. Yeah, and man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife to become one flesh and nine months later, you have something to show for it, exactly. right? That's yeah. exactly what God is telling us and why our bodies are so important and why the difference in the body is so important and transmitting that human life because, I always like to tell people, the first commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve was not a negative commandment, don't eat of the fruit of the tree at the center of the garden. The first commandment was be fruitful and multiply. Just think about that. The first commandment God ever gave to man was have sex and have babies. And Pretty the, awesome. And by the way, just as an aside, because last time we filmed early and then it came out late uh, because Michael was about to go on paternity leave. And now he has little David Augustine that's uh, making it so he doesn't get the right amount of sleep right now. But it's a sacrifice worth offering. I don't eat lunch. He doesn't get to sleep. It all works out, you know? Exactly. It's, and David Augustine is well worth it. And we are so happy to welcome him into the world. And... Through divine providence, he was actually born on St. Augustine's feast day. It's so cool. 828. So St. Augustine is going to be a very good patron saint for this little guy. That's a good one to have. Yes, indeed. Perfect. Okay, let's move on. All right. Now, heading, man in paradise. So we have to understand what was going on in the Garden of Eden, right? Mm -hmm. The Garden of Eden was perfection, right? Father actually kind of hinted at something that was very interesting, that Adam didn't have to sleep. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like, wait, sleep? You didn't have to sleep? Why not? Well, in the Garden of Eden, man had a perfect unity with himself. He had perfect control over his bodily functions. Right? He had perfect control over not needing to sleep. Yeah. He ate only when he had to eat. He actually could control his hunger. Yeah. He could control all his physical emotions, his spiritual emotions and desires. And he didn't have to get a root canal. Didn't have to get a root canal. Fantastic. But he had a, so he had perfect union with himself. He had perfect union with his fellow man, right? It says Adam and Eve were naked and were not ashamed. They had a perfect relationship with each other. Um, they could understand each other more intimately than we can understand each other now. Understand each other in uh, not just more intimately in the sexual context, but more intimately in just understanding your fellow man more perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, also, a more perfect union with nature, right? Obviously, they were naked. They weren't worried about clothing at that point due to sure. weather. They weren't worried about lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. There was... That's a good point. It's like walking around barefoot all the time, which I really enjoy doing now, but obviously, you can't do that everywhere. And not mm -hmm. just because of social mores, like, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no service, but 
Just, you know, I mean, I don't want to walk around on the asphalt barefoot right now. That would not be good. Probably no asphalt in, in the garden, you know. But, um, but, yeah, just that unity that just existed. I mean, when you think about it, it's like knowing and being known perfectly, like being at ease with one another, you know. And the thing, too, I think in the midst of this, is to get to the point, even a man in paradise, yeah, the mastery, this 377, the mastery of the world that God offered man from the beginning was realized above all, within man himself, mastery of self. Oh, shoot, that's not what I meant to talk about. But basically, the fact of the matter was, like, we believe that, you know, they worked in the garden to kill, to till and keep there on 378. That's what it was. Sign of man's familiarity with God is that God places him in the garden. There he lives to till and keep it. Work is not yet a burden, but rather the collaboration of man and woman with God in perfecting the visible creation. And I love that because, you know, when you think about it, once again, like I used that cruise ship analogy before, like, I do love going to the beach. I love getting to go on a cruise. But I know darn well that after a few days, it's like, okay, now I'm ready to read a little bit more, start doing some writing, to make, you know, do some other things. Like, we were made to work. Work is not just like uh, servile drudgery all the time. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, if you ever mowed the lawn and like finish up, it's like, yeah. That was the last time great. you mowed the lawn, Father. It's been a while. That was one of my favorite <laughs> jobs. That, come on, Father. Not a great analogy for Okay, me. here's a great analogy. All right, I'm waiting. Um, so you brought up the thing about the homily from this past week. It takes me a long time to put together homilies, right? And so it's like when you get like good feedback like that, don't worry about giving me feedback. But you know what I'm saying? It's like there are times when it's like, okay, that felt good. Like everything worked out. You know, it all came together. I know this was, you know, I was working out on this part and this part. I didn't want to ignore, you know, this particular thing. And hey, it all comes together, you know? Or, you know, like let's just say it's like the sick call in the middle of the night where I'm just kind of but you get up and you go. And then inevitably, our Lord is like, hey, way to go. You know, like it just, when you, when you get into it and you do the work you've been called to do, like there's some wonderful, rewarding things to that. And I probably should just like go out and mow the lawn at some point, you know? Like, and, you know, because like, a, a, okay. I, I, will, I will admit, I mow the lawn and I, sometimes I'm mowing the lawn and go, Father doesn't have to do this. Isn't that so nice that he doesn't have to worry about his lawn, that somebody does it for him? It is and now, perk. I will say, every once in a while, I finish mowing the lawn and look at it and look at my little tiny kingdom that I owned of my land and go, wow, look at how beautiful that is. True. But it's got to be under 80 degrees, now, or I'm I not going to think that. I understand. But I will say this. A good cold beer tastes better after you put in a whole bunch of work than it would if you're just like hanging out and just sitting down on the couch. I will I say, after you mow the lawn to 90 degrees, I just want to like fall over and die. I, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> I probably shouldn't use the mowing the lawn example. I, I used to mow the lawn I had more. to call you out. Cause, cause, I like don't I said, do it anymore. You're I right. mow the lawn and I think, doesn't Father have such a nice, luxurious life that he doesn't have to mow the lawn? But I'm also not a big mowing the lawn guy. I, I also you. have like a true push mower. Okay. I mean, my dad had a Kubota. He would drive that around the lawn with his Bud Light in the cup holder. Like, that's living the life. That is He wouldn't the life. let the kids ride the Kubota because I think it was his time to sit and drink a beer and not have to worry about the kids inside the house. And then when we had the push mower, he's like, ah, go mow the lawn. I'll give you 20 bucks. Just so you know, I used to use a push mower, too. Okay. I, I did used to do these things all the oh, time. Oh, no. I, you were a high schooler at one point. I was. <laughs> I was. Although I really enjoyed giving tours to Anna Bush, too. Yes. We'll, we'll I'm sure on. you did. And, and I love my job, too. I, yeah. Kara, my, my wife gets a little annoyed at me because sometimes I enjoy my job and it's more restful than being at home. <laughs> so sometimes I definitely hang out here maybe a couple minutes longer than I should talking to father because I'm like, this is kind of easier than going home and wrestling with three kids. Um, but then I go home and I carry my cross. And you wrestle with those three kids and then you enjoy it. More, most of the time I'm trying to sleep and they just decide it's time <laughs> to wrestle. But close enough. That's true. I don't have that either. So, but I You are missing out on that one. I am. I am. Oh, I get to see my niece and nephews here soon. Okay. Very soon. We should probably move on to the fall. Fall. Yes, got, indeed. We have 15 minutes left. Let's talk about the fall. We can do it. Um, so, first, we have to understand that sin entered the world, right? God said, do not eat the fruit of the tree or the center of the garden. More out of a, what does it say? It talks about how the true sin of, of man was this kind of lack of trust. And then everything yeah. flowed from that. And now I'm going to find where it is because it was a really good section. I know. I highlighted that, but it was on my computer. Both of us <laughs> read the catechism this time on our computers and not out of the actual book. And I'm kind of embarrassed about that because I completely agree with you. There was a really good... Um, okay, I think Did you three, find 391, I really oh, like skip that. Way ahead. Oh, this is about that was about the angels. Yeah, I thought there was, there was a really good line about that. I'm really sorry about this, folks. 
Hey. Um, but the lack of trust, I know. Sometimes we aren't always prepared as we should be. It's true. But yeah, behind the... Oh, yeah, you're right. That's not what I meant. Shoot. Yeah, I think I'm like jumping up to 396. Let's go back and talk about angels. So, first we have to understand that man didn't fall into the, this truly 100% by himself, right? That there was Satan, mm-hmm. right? The devil. Hugh fell, and he is the one that decided to tempt man. Now, let me just read part of 391. Do it. Right? Behind the... De- Disobedient choice of our first parents lurks a seductive voice, opposed to God, which makes them fall into death out of envy. Scripture and the church's tradition see in this being a fallen angel called Satan or the devil. The church teaches that Satan was at first a good angel made by God. The devil and other demons were indeed created naturally good by God, but they became evil by their own doing. And so they rejected God. The the angels rejected God, and by their falling, they became demons. 393, I think, is very important. Mm-hmm. It is the irrevocable character of their choice, and not a defect in the infinite divine mercy, that makes the angel's sin unforgivable. There is no repentance for angels after their fall, just as there is no repentance for man after death. So when Satan and the angels chose this, and I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but... It talks about it again here, so we'll do it again. Yeah. When they chose something, because they have this perfected intellect and will, unlike our, our intellect and will, because we are bound by space and time within the context of our bodies, they are not bound by that. They can make that a perfected choice, a choice for all eternity. And I actually really like the analogy that they use, that just like after we die, our choice is solidified. Mm-hmm. There's no take-backs, there's no redos. When we die, when our soul separates from our body, there's a finiteness of saying, okay, did you choose to follow me or did you not choose to follow me? For the And that's an infinite choice. We, we can't go back. We can't slip from heaven into hell and we can't climb out of hell into heaven. That's an infinite choice. So the angels have the same thing. Theirs were just in an instant and in a moment of choice that they made. And the reason why I think that can feel so difficult for us is we can't really picture that. Like you can't sort of like picture what it's like to be outside of space and time or to understand all of the implications of what you're about to do and to do that anyway. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, and, and my question that too is like, okay, let's just say, you know, that the devil was given the choice again. Like he, he's, he's already chosen this. Like it, it's, it's not as though he would choose something different. Um, that's the way I would understand it. I mean, in it being irrevocable, it's like, yeah, he understood everything of what he was doing and did it. And, you know, the thing is, too, when it comes to this, like looking about us and our decision, when you think about it, I mean, it, it points to the fact that, like, reality matters. Like, we're not just going through all this like some sort of a pointless game, you know? We choose each day for the better or for the worse. Now, you know, once again, we're embodied spirits. We don't know the full implication of everything that we're doing, Um Sometimes our life's like we take three steps forward and two or three steps back. You know, I mean, we, we, we're kind of like trudging along sometimes. But gradually, I mean, you kind of start moving, hopefully, in the right direction. The thing I like to tell people sometimes, like when they're really frustrated with themselves in confession, like, ah, I just can't get over X. It's like, okay, well, let's just stop for a second. Where were you a year ago? Where were you five years ago? Where were you 10 years ago? And sometimes it's like when you sort of pull back, and look where you were, you know, 10, 20 years ago, and like how you were dealing with particular sins then. It's like, whoa, I've actually come a little way, you know, and, and that's a good thing. Um, and I know I've probably brought this up before too, but a really good treatment of this whole topic of, you know, our choices here is a book called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Probably my favorite C.S. Lewis book, which is really saying something. Um, but just about those like, you know, choices over time, and the fact is, is like life's not like a video game. You can't just hit reset and start all over. You know, I mean, the choices that you make have an effect going forward. Now, we can repent while we're still alive and make some different decisions um, and, you know, and rely on our Lord's mercy to keep growing closer to Him. But we do need to take this life seriously. I mean, today is a gift. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. So one of the most important things, listen to Christ, repent, believe in the gospel, follow Him, and the final thing I'll say is, you know, because a lot of times people are like, well, you know, how many people in hell, how many people in hell, those sort of things. 
We don't know. And think about this, like what Jesus says when someone yells out to him in the gospel. I think it's in the gospel of Luke, but I don't remember which one. Like, you know, Lord, will many be saved? And it's not like he says, yes, 347. No, he says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. He doesn't give a number. He doesn't, like, he doesn't sort of like put this exact amount of like, okay, well, you're going to know this, and then you can just kind of rest easy and slide on it. No, what he says is strive, right? And that's what we're all called to do. Striving is going to look different for a young father of three than it is for a priest of 11 years in a parish of 1,000 families. However, we both have to keep striving to become saints. And so when we're striving on towards salvation, what does that mean? Well, it's like that list of sacrifices we talked about at the beginning. Keep striving. Keep trying. You know? And when you notice yourself falling a lot, throw yourself on the mercy of God. Ask Him for help. Like, Lord, I keep wasting time. I keep watching four hours a day of how ridiculous. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, help me whittle that down to 15 minutes, you know? Something like that. And it will help. But you got to ask Him for it. So, And part of that striving is recognizing that the... We are in a, a, battle We're in a battle over your soul, in my soul, in Father's soul, in all our souls. There's a spiritual battle going on where our guardian angels and the saints in heaven, the church militant, us on earth, are striving to get to heaven. And Satan and the demons are real and they're trying to drag us away from God and into hell. And so we need to recognize that this battle is going on, that the devil is real. These things are kind of out to get us in some ways. Now, in 395, it kind of gives us a spoiler alert, right? That God is more powerful than Satan. Satan and the demons are created beings. God is more powerful than all of this. And in the end, the war is already won. Mm -hmm. The question is, what happens for in the battle of your soul? You can lose a lot of battles and still win the war. Absolutely. So the war has been successful and completed and won, but there's still the battle raging on around us. And so don't lose sight of that. Now, don't be over anxious about it, because like I said, God is infinitely more powerful than his creatures. But we need to also recognize we need to defend ourselves. And another great C.S. Lewis book, Screwtape Letters, is a fantastic book to help us recognize the sins and temptations um, that are going on in our lives and some very, you know, interesting storytelling oh, yeah. of how the demons and the devil could be trying to drag us down. And when you read that book and recognize how potent that is and how realistic that is into our own life, it helps you start to recognize some of these temptations that we fight and some of the, the strategies that the demons may be using to drag us down so we can fight against those things. I love the treatment of gluttony in that book too, by the way. So when we get to the capital sins in the midst of this, when we get to gluttony, we got to bring that back up. That's Fantastic. not for another like thousand and something. I mean, we'll, we okay. could bring up screw tape letters every single time. Just like could. you bring up a great, great divorce, divorce. Yeah. I'll bring up screw tape letters. There you go. That's okay. I'm so sorry. then, and I think this is the paragraph I wanted to read before. Good. Then we start to see, you know, man fall. So we, we're, we're transitioning into this fall and kind of talking about the test and original sin. So 396. God created man in his image and established him in his friendship, as we talked about before. A spiritual creature, man can live this friendship only in free submission to God. Just like any friendship, it's not forced upon us, it's a free submission. We are participating in this friendship, we are not forced into this friendship. The prohibition against eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil spells this out. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. The tree of knowledge of good and evil symbolically invokes the insurmountable limits that man, being a creature, must freely recognize and respect with trust. Man is dependent on his creator and subject to the laws of creation and to the moral norms that govern the use of freedom. So it's the recognition that, man, this is your place in the divine creation, everything that God created. It is a beautiful, wonderful place. He created us in his image and likeness. He created us male and female. He created us in this friendship. He created us out of love. He created us to give things to us so we can give it back to him. It's a pretty perfect painting. Well, it is a perfect painting. And so the question was, man, are you going to accept your place in this narrative freely, freely or not? And there has to be that ability to be free. And actually, this goes way back to like our second conversation ever. Oh, yeah. Um, of kind of that having to 
allow that free choice to exist. Exactly. And I, this is the, the one line I was looking for before, 397. It's such a powerful line. So the opening sentence, man, tempted by the devil, let his trust in his creator die in his heart and abusing his freedom, disobey God's command. When you think about that, there you see that death in the garden, right? That he let his trust in his creator die. And that's when you get probably one of the most heart-rending questions in all of sacred scripture. In Genesis 3, after the fall, and you hear God say in the garden, where are you? You know, and, and in some ways, it's like, you know, we all like talk about like, oh, you know, I'm going through the search and trying to forget. You know, it's like God's search for man. It's like him calling out to us. Him, you know, who created all of this. He who, out of his goodness and his love and all of this, like, you know, we exist as this outpouring of his love and, you know, letting that trust die. And it's funny, and I, I've started crowbarring it into every homily of the school. But it's so important, you know, what St. John Paul II said when he was first uh, made our Holy Father all the way back in 1978. That first time he's talking, do not be afraid. Because the thing is, we are so surrounded by fear all the time. And I think it's one of those biggest tricks of the devil from the very beginning. Did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? You know, he doesn't just, like, come right in and, like, eat this fruit. Like, no, I mean, he's subtle. And he knows how to get in there to try to break up that friendship. You know, it's like if you're trying to break up two friends of yours, you know, you don't just say, stop being your friend. You know, it's like, well, it's like, oh, do you know what she said about you? You know, it's like little, subtle, terrible things. Um, And the devil's very good at that. He knows that a frontal attack is not normally the way. It's just like weaseling, snaking his way into it to try to break down that trust. And when a man lets that trust of God die in his heart and then goes into full-on disobedience, there's a problem. And I would say right now, you know, goes back to, once again, that list of sacrifices. Cut down on watching the news. As Michael said, I mean, the war has been won. Am I saying don't ever watch and don't have any idea what's going on? No, I'm not saying that. But at the same time, I mean, is your daily diet of intake just the next horrible thing that's happening perpetually? And remember, 24-hour news cycles exist because people watch for 24 hours a day. There's not 24 hours a day worth of news all the time. Somehow we existed as humanity up, you know, even before, like, what, 25, 30 years ago, before there was 24 hours news and constant perpetual headlines. All Like, yeah, we made it as a people, you know? We're going to continue to make it even if you're not perpetually watching what the next headline is. Stop for a second and realize that you don't have control in China, Russia, here in the United States. What you do have control over is what you're going to do with the next 15 minutes of your life. Are you going to use it to sin, to despair, to yell at people, to be angry, to be hangry? Are you going to use it to say, God, thank you for the fact that I can breathe through my nose right now and I'm really grateful for it? Are you going to use it to glory in the fact that you have a friend that you can talk to about the catechism in front of a camera? You know, Are you going to spend it maybe praying a decade of the rosary? Or going? I mean, there's so many things that we can perpetually do and that ultimately lead us more and more into trusting God. You know, And in the same way that I tell someone discerning their vocation, God's not trying to play tricks on you, right? He is a friend. He wants to be in friendship with you, which is what he gave you from the beginning. The devil is going to try to convince you countless times every day of why you shouldn't trust God. And when he does that, you can tell him to go back to hell and then spend time with our Lord, realizing the fact that, you know what? He's not left you yet, and he's not going to. And I say this from experience because I've had to learn this countless times, and I'm embarrassed to say even as a priest, right? It's not like the bishop lays hands, you're like, oh, perfect trust of God now. I wish that was the way it was, but it's not. I have to work in my relationship with our Lord every single day too. Um, But remember, it's like that's what the devil wants to do is to kill that trust. And that's why it's like, you know, people read that. It's like, well, as soon as you eat of it, you shall die. Like, well, they they didn't just drop dead. They didn't drop dead physically immediately, but something in them died. They died spiritually. You talk about mortal sin. When you fall into mortal sin, I mean, it's like you're, you're, you're dying in a way. And, and that's a serious thing. 
That's what we have to be afraid of. You know, not China taking over thing, not COVID. It's falling away from your relationship with God and letting that trust die. That's the biggest problem. And, but the beautiful thing is, once again, Christ comes to us, bridges that gap, and pulls us out of that death to be in relationship with him once again. And I think with that, we're a couple minutes over. I think we should just wrap it up. I think so, too. I mean, 397, we did pretty well. Yeah. This I mean, is great. We'll kind of pick it right back up, more or less at 397, because it wasn't a very concise break. Pretty close, though. Pretty close. And then next time, we'll go all the way to from 400 to 450. So Maybe next time when I announce it at Mass, I'll actually say the right paragraph so people can prepare correctly. It's called humility, Father. It Apparently, is. you need a little bit more. Oh, my goodness. I get the chance to grow in it every single day. And thank you, Michael, for helping me with that. <laughs> That's why I'm here. All right, well, why don't we close with a prayer? Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.